Good to see you, man. What a beautiful, gorgeous day God has given us, and what a great place to be this morning. Uh, let me just kind of throw a couple of announcements out while they're uh, finishing up the offering. Uh, number one is, you know, one of the community ministries that, you know, we we got to be outside and in, into the community, loving on the community. And one that we have is Blue Bonnet Elementary School. It's one of our Round Rock ISD campuses that we've been involved with for many years, uh, Title I school over here in Chisholm Valley. And uh, we've been involved there. We we uh, mentor, we love on the teachers, love on the staff and these kind of things. On Tuesday is the kind of the year end for our, our ladies that are going to be going and ministering there. And one of the things we like to do every year is uh, a $25 gift certificate, uh, uh, gift card for all of the teachers and administrators. And uh, we usually do that love offering through Bible fellowship, small groups and these kind of things. And uh, if you missed the opportunity or would like to contribute, this is a this is an incredible outreach to love on these people uh, there. And so I would just encourage you to do that. You can uh, I'm not sure. I guess you can go online and do it or you can you can go online and do it. My wife is telling me, yes, you can go online and, and do that. So uh, I just encourage you to that. Now, uh, the second thing that I want to uh, just kind of uh, let you know about is that uh, um, school lets out here within the month and uh, um, Round Rock Schools and Round Rock Christian Academy here. And at the 25th anniversary, we told you that we're going to be doing a facelift uh, for the four-year area here. Well, that's going to begin at the end of the month once school lets out. And so you'll be seeing some dust and, and these kind of things. And we'll tell you more as that gets a little bit closer. But that's exciting, man, just to... A demo something. Maybe they'll let me get a hammer or something and, and demo. I'm not good at building, but I can demo. And so uh, that will, will be going on. Man, I'm so glad that you're here today. Let me let me say this before we pray. Uh, you you came to hear from God today. I, I, I hope you did. I mean, and I'm not God. But you came to hear what God has for you. You're walking in different places. Um, these, these last few weeks have been kind of interesting for us. We don't do tons of funerals, uh, here at the, at the church, but we've had three in the last two and a half weeks. And, uh, uh, man, God was present, godly people, incredible, uh, uh, funerals. They were all glorifying to God and honoring. Yesterday, uh, it just kind of hit me, uh, impression or the Holy Spirit or whatever it was. Because each of these people were uh, not only uh, individuals, but they were parents, grandparents, and, and uh, two of them were great-grandparents. And it just hit me, and, and I want you to hear this before I pray. It just hit me, God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And so there is no way that, first of all, the relationship is that intimate just this child. There's nothing removed. I mean, it's that close. But the other thing is, is we can't rely on anybody else for our walk with Christ other than what Jesus did for us. Now, you may have a mentor or a discipler or something like that, but, you know, ultimately it's one-on-one with God. And so when you come here today, the good news about that is he cares for where you're walking right now. And he cares whatever you're going through. And I want us to pray because let me tell you what I believe. I believe that what God did in the scriptures and what God promises to us, he wants to revisit us in those areas. And this is what I mean. I believe that God, because I trust him, 
fully. I believe that God wants to pour himself out on people that are willing to hear from him. And you're saying, well, Mark, I'm, I'm just not sure. There's certain things in my life. I'm not sure, God. You need to get those lies of the devil out of here. He wants to come and visit us in a tangible, real way. And I pray that God would do that. I just pray that he would. I, I, I love that song that Amy just sang. That's a new one for us. And, man, she's doing an incredible job of leading us to the throne about the goodness of God. And we need to hang on to that. So I want to pray. And uh, so I, I want you to just get in a receiving posture, whatever that is. I just want to go before the Lord, the Creator God. And, Father, we just declare that you are God. Lord, we declare that you want to visit your children. But, Father, for some reason, you want to be wanted. And, Lord, I know there's times that you just invade and you just come and you overwhelm us. But when we gather to worship, it's actually us acknowledging you and inviting you and and coming up to you and, and just to exalt you, Lord, because you are the only God There is. You are the creator. You're all-knowing. You're all-powerful. And, Lord, there's nothing hidden from you in this room. You know the motives. You know the intentions. You know the heart. You know the mind. There's nothing we can hide from you. We're laid bare before you as we worship. But, Lord, you love us, and you have incredible grace and mercy you're wanting to pour out. And, Lord, God of heaven, I just pray that we would just experience you in your fullness today as we lift up your name. Father, if you want to stop anything, Lord, we want to be obedient to say we're going to stop and just just acknowledge you. And so, Lord, today we just come. We want you, Lord. We do long for you. And so, Lord, I pray that as we open your word, that you would use it to penetrate our hard hearts so often, God. And you will take away those stony hearts, and you'll give us those heart of flesh that Ezekiel talked about, Lord, and you'll just visit us in this time. So, Lord, to you we give glory today and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to take your devices or your Bibles and turn with me to Exodus chapter 19. And I want to kind of set it up for you um, as we talk about today uh, where, where God has taken us. For you that are new or guests, so glad you're here. We're in a series called Mountaintops. And what we're doing is, is we're kind of looking through the scriptures and we're seeing how God used mountaintop experiences to change things that happen in the valley. We talked about Abraham and then we entered the Easter season. We talked about Mount of Olives, and we talked about Golgotha, and we talked about uh, the different mountains there. And, and so we're today going to be talking about Mount Sinai. And, and uh, man, I gotta I gotta admit, the last two weeks weeks have been interesting. In that, uh, when I originally started this series, it could be ongoing forever. But uh, the last two messages, last week and this week, were not in those original set. God just moved my heart in some areas, and I just want to open God's Word. I think it's very practical and, and good for us where we're walking today. Uh, but let me kind of set it up with this. There was a father, and he was kid-sitting his daughter. In other words, mom was out of the house, and it was just he and his daughter. And his daughter was over in the corner, and she was had her had her paper out, and she was had her crayons, man, and she was coloring a picture. She was drawing a picture, and Dad got curious, so he walked over there and said, "Honey, what are you drawing?" And she said, "I'm drawing a picture of God." 
And he said, well, honey, nobody knows what God looks like. Nobody knows what God looks like. And the little girl looked at him and said, they will when I'm finished. <laughs> and, and I say that because we're going to, I hope today that I can somehow give you a bigger view of God than what we have. I have a feeling our view has got way too small. And I'm praying that God will will give us a bigger view of who God is. And in Exodus chapter 19, let me just kind of bring you up to what takes place in Exodus 19 as we look at that. Most of you know the story of Moses. If you don't, let me give you a brief synopsis. Moses, for the first 40 years of his life, he was raised in Pharaoh's house. He was man's man. However, he got deported. He had to leave. In the next 40 years of his life, he's out in the wilderness watching sheep. He became nobody's man. But God is going to call him, and he ended strong the last 40 years of his life. He was going to be God's man. You know, sometimes God has to take us through those journeys. We don't like them. We think we're, we think we're God's gift to the world. We think we're man's man. But he has to take the sandpaper of life and rough us up a little bit to where we're nobody's man so that he can use us and we become God's man. So I don't know where you are in that journey, but he usually takes us all through it. And that's where he took Moses through it. But in Moses, during that becoming God's man phase, he's out watching sheep on a, on a mountain called Mount Sinai. And it, while he's there, he has an experience with a bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. God has shown himself as fire, and he has this conversation with God, and you may be remembering that God spoke to him and said, take off your sandals, you're on holy ground, and all of a sudden there's this calling that comes on Moses' life that he's supposed to go and deliver the children of Israel who were in slavery down in Egypt for over 400 years. He is to go down there, confront Pharaoh, and get the people out of slavery. And it's a little bit of a conversation. Moses doesn't want the calling, but God has the calling. Moses is going to have to do it. He gets his brother Aaron to come and be his voice piece and this kind of stuff. But one of the things God tells him in Ezekiel, uh, excuse me, Exodus chapter 3 is this. You're to go and you're going to get the people out of slavery and they're going to come back and they're going to serve me on this mountain. So eventually they're going to come back to Mount Sinai, but there's a lot of time that's going to have to happen. It's going to be a couple of months, but they're going to be back there, and that's where we pick it up. They've gone through all of this to get out of slavery, and then God brings them to uh, Mount Sinai again, and that's where we pick it up in verse 1. Keep your Bibles open. I encourage you to jot down notes because the shortest pencil is better than the longest memory, so you can write down notes there. It says this, verse 1. On the third new moon, this would be probably two to three months after they'd gotten out of, out of Egypt. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain while Moses went up to God. You see the picture. All these millions of people are down in the valley, and Moses has gone up on the mountain where he had encountered God before. It says, The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if... 
You will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. Let's stop there just a second. You see the picture. They've come out of Egypt. They've come out of this slavery. God delivered them. They come to this valley. They're down in the valley. Moses goes up there and encounters God. And God lays out this to them. He said, I have carried you on eagle's wings. In other words, I have been safety. I've been your guard. I've been your protection. I've guided you to this very point. What I told you when the burning bush, the people would come back and serve me. Here they are. They're going to worship me at this mountain. But here's the deal, Moses. I called you to myself. I love that verse because it means to me is this. We, we think that God sent Jesus Christ just to take us to heaven someday. Oh, that's not it. God sent Jesus so that we could be restored to a right relationship with the Father because, you see, God considers us a treasured possession that he wants us close to him. And so here's what he said. I've called you to myself, and this is the deal. If... If is a huge word there. If you will obey me in this covenant that I have, then we will have this incredible relationship together. In other words, there's a choice that you can make. I believe that God gives us all a choice. You chose to came, come here today. You choose, you choose whatever you choose. But you choose whether you're going to follow God or you're not. It, it, there's not a black, I mean, there's not a gray area. It's black and white. You either choose to or you choose not to. Well, I, I haven't made a choice. Yeah, you made a choice. You've made a choice one way or the other. And that's what God is saying here. If you choose to follow me, here's the deal. You're going to be my treasured possession, called to me, and I'm going to turn you into a kingdom of priests and make you a holy nation. Now, what does that really mean? That's kind of confusion to us. Kingdom of priests, holy nation. But the, but the most incredible thing is, is that you are my treasured possession. I want to I take that out of Old Testament and put it in the New Testament a little bit. Because when we read the Old Testament, we think, well, that doesn't really involve us so much. That's a, the nation of Israel, and that doesn't involve us so much. But let me go to the New Testament. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, it says this. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, he is saying this, that no, it's not going to be the, the Israel here, you are my chosen people, but he is saying, I have set up you as my church. You will be a priesthood. Now, what does that mean still? First of all, the good news is is that we are treasured possessions. Some of you need to hear that today. Some of you have bought into the world's lies. People have said things about you. They've demonstrated things about you. We've bought into this comparison mentality by living on social media. We compare our lives to everybody else. Thus, we don't measure up. We feel terrible about ourselves. And here comes the God, the creator of the universe, who gave you everything that you have. And he says, you are my treasured possession. To me, that ought to do something to your heart. To know that he is for you and not against you. But he made them a kingdom of priests. What does that mean? Well, literally it means this. You will be my spokesman to the nations. I'm not calling you to, just to set you apart so that you're this nation over here. I expect you to make a, a, a contact with the other nations to demonstrate them 
who God truly is. This, this concerns me today. The, the, the Israelites did not understand that as a kingdom of priests. They took it that they were special and we're special and you're not special, so we're over here and y'all are over here. But God made them kingdom of priests so that they would bring influence. The church, I'm afraid, has bought into this very uh, mentality today. We have considered the greatness of God as to be ours. Thus, we huddle up in these huddles and we take a fortress mentality instead of changing the world that he's called us to change. But you are to be a kingdom of priests, a holy nation, one that is set apart for my use. That's what he's telling them. If you will do this, if you will choose to do this, then I will be your God and, and, and you'll be my people and we will go forward. Now let's go on a little bit farther in our reading. So Moses came and called the elders, verse 7, of the people and said before them all these words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. And when Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, Go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day for on the third day, the Lord will come. Third days are pretty important to God. For the, on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you shall set limits for the people all around saying, take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but he shall be stoned or shot, not with a gun. It would have been with an arrow. Whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people. And they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. And let me read one more verse. On the morning of the third day, there were thunders and lightning and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people in the camp trembled. And if you go on down, look at verse 18, just a minute, how God comes down on the mountain and it says it was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and then the whole mountain trembled greatly. In verse 19, it talks about how the Lord came down and Moses went up. Let me stop there. This is an incredible scene. I mean, Raiders of the Lost Ark, incredible scene. What happens is, is the is that Moses has met with God. He's their mediator. He's meeting with God. God gives him instructions. The people have chosen to follow you, God. Okay, what I want you to do is on the third day, I'm going to show up in power. And what I, what I want you to know is, is that I'm going to come and the people need to consecrate themselves. What in the world consecrate? We don't talk about that word. It means to set apart. It means to get ready. It means to prepare your heart, to prepare yourself. And one of the ways he said to do that was, I want everybody to take a bath and to put on new clothes. That's what I want them to do. Because that seems odd. We're, I mean, most of us at least uh, took a bath over the weekend and we've, we've uh, put on clean clothes to come to church today. I mean, that just doesn't sound like that big a deal. Imagine a million people who have been wandering for weeks, who have not had much water, 
And they're all considered, within three days, you all got to take a bath and put on clean clothes. That's a huge deal. God wanted this, here's the deal. He wanted this to be a brand new day. Moses, I'm about to do a brand new thing. I'm making this love covenant with you, and I want the people ready. I want them to be pure. I want them to be holy. I want them to be clean. I want them because if they are not, they won't make it on this mountain. And God gives us an incredible picture of the people coming, and then God, in his incredible way, descends upon this mountain. He does it as smoke and fire and lightning and thunder, and he rumbles, and it says that the whole mountain trembled. The Jewish nation uh, have a holiday they call Pentecost. We, I'll talk about the Pentecost in Acts chapter 2 in just a moment. And Jewish tradition today is Pentecost means 50 days or 50 days after Passover. And they all in the Jewish culture had to do with agriculture and the harvest and these kind of things, first fruits and these kind of things. But the Jewish nation today celebrates Pentecost as this day when the law came down. Because you see, Moses is going to go up and get the Ten Commandments. And so this is Pentecost today to them. God came down. He gave the law. Okay, this is this is still today. Shavuot is is what it's called as well, but it's called Pentecost. It's when the law came. God came down and gave the law to man is what it is. And and uh, what I want to do, though, is I want to compare this in just a moment to the Pentecost of Acts two, when God came down with his spirit. But before we do that, I want I want to say something. I want to talk about this for a few minutes. I believe that we have lost the awe of God. I believe that we have tried to take the God of all creation, the one who makes mountains tremble, and tried to turn him into Santa Claus. To, to, that he is somebody that we just ask things for. And we don't want him to get too close. We want enough of God so that we don't, don't go to hell, but we don't we want enough of God that he changes our life on a daily basis. And we've taken the God of all creation, the one who makes mountains tremble, and we've made him the man upstairs, or we've made him the good old boy, and that's what we've done with Creator God. And I think it's an offense to him. Because I look at God here, I see a couple of things. I think, number one, he is holy. There is no other. He is set apart. There is no other God like him. He is all-powerful. There is nothing beyond His ability to overcome. Some of you need to hear that today. You need to know that God can overcome whatever you're going through. It didn't take Him by surprise. Okay? And God is He's all-powerful. The other thing, He's he consuming fire is what the Scripture says. In other words, there's nothing unholy that can stand in His presence. Thus, the people were to consecrate themselves. Clean up! Get your lives together, because you're coming into the presence of Almighty God. He's sovereign. There's nothing beyond His knowledge. Isn't it amazing how we treat God like He doesn't know what's going on? Well, I'm kind of angry at God. Do you think, you think that's okay? He knows it already. I'm frustrated with God. He knows it already. He is sovereign God. He is in full control. The other thing is there's no limits with God. He, he is not limited by time. He's not limited by any, any stretch of anything. God is these things. He is huge. 
But you know what I like? And, and I want I, look at these scriptures. He wanted to make a covenant. He is a relational God. He's not a God up there just throwing lightning bolts at people. He's not up there in his rocking chair sitting back, just whatever may be, may be. He is intimately involved relationally with 7 billion people on this planet. Have all of them made a choice to follow him? Not yet. But that's the kind of relational God he is. And he established a covenant. And I want you to hear this. That covenant in the Old Testament, and he set a new covenant in Jesus, because Jesus completely fulfilled the Old Covenant, is one made with unconditional love towards you. That's the kind of God he is. He's, he's almighty. He's all powerful. He's beyond anything that you can ever imagine. I remember, uh, uh, I probably shared this before, but it was several years ago and it was just July 4th kind of thing. And, uh, we were, we were in the backyard, wanted to see fireworks and these kind of things. And where we live, uh, we live over in the northeast quadrant. So you could see the fireworks at Dell Diamond. Light pollution's kind of taking that away now. But we were out there and, and uh, watching the fireworks go off out there. And all of a sudden, there was a lightning storm over on this side. Those fireworks looked like little crackers compared to a lightning strike. And I'm thinking, God, you are awesome. You are awesome. And that's the kind of God that we have. He's that awesome, but yet He is so intimate that He loves you in every detail of your life. I just think we've lost the awe of God. And I I, I don't know what it's going to take for us to get back to that, but I'm praying God will do that. But here's, here's where I want to dwell just for a couple of minutes. If Pentecost for the Jew was the giving of God with the covenant law, Acts chapter 2 for us in the New Testament is when God invaded our lives by the giving of the Holy Spirit. The people were gathered in the room of one accord. They were seeking, they were going up the mountain seeking God in prayer. And God came down in the power of His Holy Spirit and all has changed ever since. The comforter, the guide, the one who was alongside of us, the one that Jesus said would be more intimate than I can be with you because I'm only in, with you in the flesh. The Spirit can be with you 24-7. And He is here with us. And they were gathered, and God came down in power, and His Spirit inhabits us today. I, 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 I am just in awe of a God that loves us so much that He would give us His very presence. And you're saying, Mark, I don't, I don't know much about the Holy Spirit. Uh, read the Word of God. Become acquainted with who He is. He's not an it. He's not a spooky uh, something that you can't know. He's the very presence of God in your life. And that's what God did. Us in our finite, puny way, God invaded and He came to us. And you cannot live the life He wants for you without the Holy Spirit. What I want to do is I want to just lay out real quick. These are real brief. I want to lay out to you three takeaways that come out of this this passage today that I want you to, to see. Number one is this. God is still desiring His children to consecrate themselves. God is still still desiring his children to consecrate themselves. And you're thinking, well, what does that mean? It means that we are to take, 
measure in preparing our hearts as we go up the mountain to meet him. Um, the writer of Hebrews says we are to, to strip away those things that so easily beset us or entangle us, those sin issues that we seem to hang on to, those lifestyle choices that we make that may be dishonoring to God, those sin areas that we think, oh, God will let me get away with this because he's grace. No, no, no. He is holy. Nothing unholy will come into his presence. And I'm not talking about works mentality here. I'm talking about honoring the God of all creation. I'm talking about the one who is created, the one who is holy, the one that you you can't even imagine that that uh, there's still uh, burning bushes that we're not willing to go out to. There's still trembling mountains that we have let others go up. Others go up the mountain, and you tell me what it's like, you know? That's where we live today, is we want others to go up the mountain and then come down and tell us what it's like when God says, you come up to me. You come up. You consecrate yourself. You be willing to lay aside those things that so tangle you. The world, the world, it just wants to entangle you. The love of the world, the love of the flesh, the boastful pride of life, as John said. We let these things hold us back. And God is saying, listen, I want my children, I want my bride to be clean. I want her to be pure. I want her to be holy. And that begins with each of us. That means that we're willing to say, God, you show me the things that are holding you, holding me back from being the child you want me to be. And God, I want to give those to you. So, number one, God is still calling his children today to consecrate yourself. Do whatever it takes. It will take time. It's not going to happen reading the newspaper. It's not going to happen watching TV. And There's nothing wrong with either one of those. But it's going to take some time to separate and say, Spirit of the living God, you show me what is holding me back from being who you want me to be. God is still desiring His children to consecrate themselves. Number two is this. God has come down, but there is still a call to come up. God has come down, but there is still a call to come up. God is desiring for you to seek after Him. He's not playing hide and seek, but throughout the Scriptures, He's talking all the time. He's a rewarder of those who seek Him. He wants you to seek Him. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. David in Psalm 27 says, This one thing I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Paul, all his life said, that, that I consider it all rubbish, that I may know Him. In other words, there's a progressive knowing Him as long as you're in these earth suits to hunger and thirst after God. Come up the mountain. He has come completely down. It's, there's nothing in you that can bring you salvation. You sin. God did everything. It's not like I'm going to do my part and then God does His part. No, 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 no. God does it all. He became sin who knew no sin so that we could become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We just by faith place ourselves in Him. And the rest of our life is, God, I just want to seek You. I just want to know You, God. And, 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 and Paul said this. He said, I pray that you may have the spirit of revelation to know Him more, to know Him better, that you can know Him more. I read a quote that said that uh, about the Israelites, that in one night, God took Israel out of Egypt. But it took Him 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. God is going to do what it's going to take for you to become that pure, spotless, the church, the bride that He desires for us to be. 
And so, He has come down, but He is desiring for you to come up. If you're taking notes, I always encourage you to do that. The first one I said was God is still desiring His children to consecrate themselves. Number two, God has come down, but there is still a call to come up. And number three is this. God's children are to be those visible billboards for His kingdom. God's children are to be the visible billboard. This is what it means to be a kingdom of priests. It means that we don't huddle up and just shine our light upon each other, but that we go into a world that is desperately dark and we shine the light upon them so that they may know. There, you don't know how many times. I, I, let, me, let me put it this way. The world is really not interested about what we're doing in here today. There, there was a time they were, but it's not that way anymore. They really are not interested in what we are doing in this room. Because you see, the picture that we have given them in the world has not been healthy. It's been what we're against, what we're angry at, what we're scared of. We're not people of faith, but we're people that would rather throw rocks at other things instead of demonstrating the love of Christ to people. So they really aren't interested in what we're doing. There's many times when, I know you're like me, you would like to get on the news and broadcast it worldwide. Please forgive us for the picture we have given you of Jesus. Do you ever want to do that? I do. I think, oh man, we blew it again. When we have this incredible calling of God, we have His very Spirit, His very presence, His very power in us, that we are to shine His light. And we haven't done it. But I'm telling you, God has made us, His bride, the church, we as Christ followers, as billboards, as this kingdom of priests, to show Him to a world that desperately needs Him. That's the calling. And you know how many times I look at my own life and say, God, do my neighbors even see I'm any different or I just go to church and they don't? Do they know that I love them, that I care for him, them, and I demonstrate the love of Christ to them? Do they know? But that is what God desires because he set it up for his children in this covenant, the children of Israel. And then it, and Peter said it, what I read to you a little bit, the church is to be this kingdom of priests set apart. So God is calling us to consecrate themselves. He's calling us to come up the mountain. And he wants us to be visible billboards. I found a story in Robert Fulgham's book. It was on fire when I laid down on it. And let me just read the story to you. During the Second World War, German paratroopers invaded the island of Crete. When they landed, the islanders met them bearing nothing other than kitchen knives and hate skiffs. The consequences of resistance were devastating. The residents of entire villages were lined up and shot. Overlooking the airstrip today is an institute for peace and understanding founded by a Greek man named Alexander Papadaris. Papadaris was just six years old when the war started. His home village was destroyed, and he was imprisoned in a concentration camp. When the war ended, he became convinced his people needed to let go of the hatred the war had unleashed. And to help the process, he founded his institute at that place 
that embodied the horrors and hatreds unleashed by the war. One day, while taking questions at the end of a lecture, Papadaris was asked, What's the meaning of life? There was nervous laughter in the room. It was such a weighty question, but Papadaris answered it. He opened his wallet. He took out a small round mirror and held it up for everyone to see. During the war, he was just a small boy when he came across a motorcycle wreck. The motorcycle had belonged to German soldiers, and Alexander saw pieces of broken mirror from the motorcycle laying on the ground. He tried to put them together but couldn't, so he took the largest piece and scratched it against a stone until its edges were smooth and it was round. He used it as a toy, fascinated by the way he could use it to shine light into holes and crevices. He kept that mirror with him as he grew up. And over time, it came to symbolize something very important. It became a metaphor for what he might do with his life. He said, I am a fragment of a mirror whose whole design and shape I do not know. Nevertheless, with what I have, I can reflect light into the dark places of this world, into the black places in the hearts of men, and change some things in some people. Perhaps others may see and do likewise. This is what I am about. This is the meaning of my life. You know, you're going to get into places with your little mirror that I will never get. I will get to places you will never get. And I think if all of us could learn that we are but fragments of a mirror to reflect the light of Christ into dark places, I can't imagine the difference we will make. When God came down, He has called us up to come up the mountain to be with Him. You know, my prayer is that you can do that on a daily basis in your quiet time. But I'm praying, I'm really praying that every time we gather corporately, that we're just coming up the mountain a little bit more to spend time with God, who makes the mountains tremble. Thank you.